When injustice is glaring at you, how far would you go to fight for what is right? Are there people you would protect even if you knew they were the ones causing injustice? Today on The Balanced Voice, we sit down with someone who has proven to be a truth teller for the entirety of her career. I worried all the time. I broke the story in August 93, and it went out to the world. I mean, Hard Copy was a huge show at that time, like Entertainment Tonight. Millions of people watched every day. And then I waited for other people to follow, other reporters to pick up the story, and nobody did. I would go out, we lived in Hollywood at the time, I'd go out and get the LA Times, and it was like, why aren't they covering this story? I'm out here on a limb. But, of course, as history shows, they did start to follow the case. But back in 93, Rania, nobody talked about child molestation or pedophilia. I've had people say to me, back then, I had to go look up the word pedophilia. That's Diane Diamond. Diane gained national attention after breaking the story of child molestation allegations against Michael Jackson in 1993. She has worked as a correspondent for Hard Copy, Extra, NBC, Entertainment Tonight, Court TV, and Investigation Discovery, where she covered events such as the O.J. Simpson case and conducted interviews with Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss, Pamela Smart, Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassin, Jeffrey McDonald, and so many more. In today's Balanced Conversation, we discuss Diane's commitment to uncovering injustice and reporting on facts, even when it reveals an unpopular opinion. We wrap up by discussing her recent open letter to Harris County judges about the felony bond ramifications here in Houston. Ultimately, we answer this question. How do you find the courage to fight for justice, even if you know it means standing alone? Without further ado, Here's your host, Renya Mancarios. Welcome to the Balance Voice podcast. We are always thrilled with our guests, but this one has a special place in my heart for her <laughs> historic work in investigative journalism. Diane Diamond. Diane, welcome to the Balance Voice podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Renya. I, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. We're so thrilled. Okay. To think about how do I capture who you are in two sentences, it's impossible. So I'll just quickly say. <laughs> in I'm other not- words, you're saying I'm that old, right? <laughs> that I've done so many things you can't fit. No, in, uh, investigative journalist, author, syndicatum columnist, TV commentator. Um, obviously, you are known for sort of breaking the doors open on the Michael Jackson case. You've covered O.J. Simpson. You've really dug deep into the biggest um, celebrity-driven di- cases of this country. You're correspondent for Hard Copy, Extra, NBC, Entertainment Tonight, Court TV, Investigative Discovery, NPR, All Things Considered. You were an anchor there. Congressional and political correspondent I can go on and on so it is okay. just that's enough thrill to have you welcome <laughs> welcome welcome thanks again I want to start actually um with this the work you've done on some of these celebrity cases the Michael Jackson case and a few others because it was so interesting to me uh what you went through and you you outlined it in your book first of all you just did a re-release of your book I did in fact I happen to have one right here. <laughs> I did. Uh, the book came out years ago, but I recently wrote, wrote four new chapters. And um, publishing being what it is and the uh, 
pandemic and all of that, I chose to just put those four out in the audio version. So if you get the audio book, which I guess everybody's doing these days, uh, you'll get the four new chapters updating what happened after the end of the trial, which is where this, this one ends. The book, Be Careful Who You Love, is your journey um, through diving into the Michael Jackson case. And um, while it's so packed, and I recommend people download the Audible book, get get the listen to it, because hearing you talk mm-hmm. about, and this was a long, this was a while ago, but the hoops you had to go through to cover the case, the, the threats that you faced personally, um, the attacks you sort had to navigate was so interesting to me. And it made me think about law and order, criminal justice, but the role of celebrity in today's society and mm-hmm. how, how peculiar that must be for an investigative journalist just seeking truth to navigate these machines of celebrity brands coupled with this community love for celebrities that we almost want to coddle and say they, they can't be victims. They, or they can't be criminals, sorry, perpetrators. Right, right. That, that's a really in- interesting observation and true. Um, way back when, in 1993, when I first broke the Jackson case, well, I was a correspondent for hard copy, um, you know, I covered crime and justice. And here I was given the assignment to do a celebrity crime and justice case. And I guess, of course, I knew who Michael Jackson was. I grew up with his music, for goodness sake. But I never, I never gave it another thought. Well, that's not quite true. Maybe a few thoughts, but I tackled this as a potential crime story. Okay, what do the cops say? What do the child protective welfare say? What does the family say? What does the other side say? And I didn't really take into account. I was naive. I'll tell you, Renia, about the celebrity machine behind these type of people. And um, I went along my merry way, breaking story after story after story. And then I realized the power of that spin machine and the fans um, and their power against people like me who just tell stories. I, you know, it's, it wasn't uh, what somebody wore on the red carpet. This was a story about potential pedophilia, about a superstar traveling the world always being photographed in the uh, accompaniment of children, mostly young boys. And so that's the way I tackled it. And I think any good investigative journalist would tackle it that way, not saying, oh, gosh, it's Michael Jackson. I have to be careful. Um, There was a time in journalism where that happened. And the studios could pick up the phone and quash a story like that. But I'll forever be grateful to hard copy my boss there, Linda Bell Blue and, and others who just said, hey, go go for it. Just keep digging, keep digging. And I did. <laughs> so and I remember <laughs> observing being a spectator, watching these this story unfold and and seeing the images of him with children and thinking, well, there's no way. That's Michael Jackson. There's no way. And I what I love I is thought that too. I did too. I mean, we all did because there's a yeah. part of these celebrities that we we grow to love and identify with and want. To, to have in our lives. And then for somebody to come and paint them in a different light is really difficult. But what you did so beautifully in your book is you you unpacked his life and his childhood and some of the things we didn't know and the struggles he had 
um, in such a beautiful way. And a not, you know, the intent isn't to hurt him or hurt his brand or hurt his image. It's just to tell the truth. How, when I'm curious and I, I, and I, and I love that you've just reissued the book with four new chapters. Mm -hmm. What was it really like for you boots on the ground? I mean, were you personally struggling with some of the things coming out thinking, I can't report this, or I can't go there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The country's not ready. We're not ready. He's, he's Michael Jackson. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, and yes, I did. I did struggle with it. And um, the book, you know, I read it again for the audio book. I read it out loud and I thought, this is awfully antiseptic. Mm. It, it is, as you say, fact, fact, fact. This is what I found out and this is what happened. And then, you know, and I go from fact to fact in a very um, almost antiseptic way. I don't tell you half of what happened to me in this book. Um, But I guess you got the gist of it. Um, Yes, I worried all the time. I broke the story in August 93. And it went out to the world. I mean, hard copy was a huge show at that time, like entertainment tonight, millions of people watched every day. And then I waited for other people to follow other reporters to pick up the story. And nobody did. I would go out, we lived in Hollywood at the time, I'd go out and get the LA Times, and it was like, why aren't they covering this story? I'm out here on a limb. But, of course, as history shows, they did start to follow the case. But back in 93, Rania, nobody talked about child molestation or pedophilia. I've had people say to me, back then, I had to go look up the word pedophilia. Can you imagine? So, yeah, it was hard. Can you can you talk a little bit about what you personally experienced covering the Michael Jackson case? You you mentioned it in your book and and thinking yes. about your daughter at the time. But as an investigative journalist, we have to remember that you guys put yourselves on the front lines. Um, obviously, you uphold your profession. You you fight for integrity, but you're also exposing dangerous people who are doing dangerous yes. things who will do anything to make sure you stop talking. Right. And at the core of it is money and power. And I was dealing with a superstar. Um, Yeah, you know, it's funny. I will tell you, it's not really common knowledge, but this book has been optioned for a movie. And that's the angle the screenwriters want to deal with, was what, what did I go through? So I have recently brought up all this stuff in my head again. I mean, leaving the hard copy offices after I broke the story and going across the street to the parking structure to my car and I'm suddenly surrounded by angry Jackson fans. Uh, My my car was broken into and important documents uh, for Michael Jackson sued us for sued me for a hundred million dollars. So I had legal documents locked in my car and they were stolen. Um, We uh, worried about telephone taps. My husband is um, terrific. He is also a, CBS alum, a veteran, and uh, we decided that our home phone sounded funky and my office phone sounded funky. And he came up with the idea. I think I write about it in the book. You do. Um, I, I yeah. love the story. Let, let's just, uh, he said, let's just uh, uh, plant a red herring and see if it comes back to you. So we planted a phony story. He called me and asked me, if I had uh, finished up on that special about Anthony Pelicano, Michael Jackson's private detective. And I said, Oh, yeah, boy, it's going to be a blockbuster. Okay, I gotta go. And I hung up. And about 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, 
the attorneys for hard copy came and said, you know, we need to see that script on Pelicano. And I said, there is no script. Where did you get that information? So I knew my phone was tapped. Uh, the, the lawyer told me, oh, well, I just got a call from Howard Weitzman's office and they told me you're working on a special. Well, Howard Weitzman was Michael Jackson's lawyer. So how the only way they could have known, thanks to my husband's brilliant idea, was that they were listening in on, on my office phone. So I never used that phone again. This balanced conversation is made possible by Brigitte and Bashar Kalai, Hallie Vanderheider, Sippy and AJ Karana, and Deepwater Productions. If you're interested in furthering our mission of facilitating balanced conversations, offering real solutions, contact us at thebalancevoicepodcast.com. You come from a time when journalists are embedded with um, such integrity and really you, you chase the honest story with honest intention. Um, I think now it's not that that's not the case for journalists. It's just that everybody thinks they're a journalist. Anybody with a story <laughs> is all of a sudden a journalist. And I'm an investigative journalist, yeah. not just a journalist. They're an investigative journalist because they read something in the paper and they parroted it on television. Yeah, yes. I know. Or they, or they captured something, you know, raw footage on a flight or uh, just whatever. I mean, everybody feels that they're yeah. a journalist now. I guess my question is two parts. How has the the industry changed? Um, whether it's in like actual education, boots on the ground, those who are, tr- who are truly studying to be investigative journalists. How do you navigate bias in a world that's inherently biased? And then versus how do you separate your work from the flood, the people, everyone else thinking that they are a reporter as well or a journalist? Yeah. Well, to the last point, you just do the best you can. You know, I, I have carved out this, this niche in the crime and justice uh, genre, and that's what I do. Uh, I am content. I don't need to be on TV every day. I, I still work for Investigation Discovery, do a lot of specials for them. But um, my column, uh, my weekly crime and justice column is what I really kind of pour my investigative soul into. So that's that's good. But how has it changed over the years? Um, look, I come from an era of um, gumshoe reporting. You know, you want to know something, you go get hit the bricks, <laughs> as they say, hit the bricks and go knock on some doors, interview people, t- take good notes, um, take a tape recorder, take a cameraman and really work it. I mean, if it takes 18 hours a day, you work 18 hours a day um, and you verify everything. You don't just take one person's word for it. You need to say, does this match with anything else I've heard? Does, can I can reconfirm this in another way? Two, three sources is best, or best. Um, today, I think that we are churning out, I'm sad to say, a group of reporters who come at it uh, from an ag- advocacy standpoint or from a biased standpoint. And I'm I'm sad to say, I think it starts at the university level, maybe even in high school. But at the university level, they're taught now, I believe, in many places to find the wrong, right the wrong, uh, you know, uh, go for for the just cause, always mention climate change. (laughs) You know, climate change shouldn't be in every single story that you write. 
right. but um, they always seem to come back around to that or um, systemic racism. That's a, that's a big thing that's inherent in every story now. And in my opinion, it shouldn't be there, but I, I think um, the American public is not getting the kind of information they need to get. I look back at Watergate. I look back at the Pentagon Papers release. I, I knew Daniel Shore. I worked with him at National Public Radio, the Pentagon Papers. That's the kind of journalism that I, I really don't see anymore, or, or, or I see very little of it. And it, it pains me because this is my chosen profession, you know. Um, and it, it pains us because we as a community suffer for it. Um, and yeah, I, and yeah. I hope that we can get back to it because when you have the combination of echo chambers, you know, you, you tap into groups that tell you exactly what you want to hear over yeah. and over and over again, coupled yeah. with everyone being an activist. And I just had this conversation this morning and I, and it, it I think it will tie into uh, another thing we're going to talk about shortly, which is criminal justice reform. Activists are taking very important seats and, and there is a place for activism. Certainly it is sure. incredibly powerful and wonderful. And it helps communities stretch and hear different sides and think, mm -hmm. but there is a place where it actually does a lot of harm. And it's interesting to hear your point that maybe universities or the college level are just the current mm -hmm. culture that kids are being raised in. Everybody is raised inherently to be an activist trying to prove their point. Everyone should have a cause and work for charities and work for activism and work for climate change. Work for to end racism as you find it, but make sure it's racism. Having difficult conversations is the heart of this podcast. And and being able to say, look, these are these are very hard things to talk through, but we want to be able to have a conversation while we sort of remain arm in arm, hand in hand, and um, continue to agree to continue to work together. I wanted I want to talk about your recent open letter um, to Harris County District Court judges. And I figured you might want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> this was so, so powerful. And I'll tell you, we have, as an organization, our whole focus is public safety. That's what we wake up and think about and work towards every single day. And from you where you sit to actually take the time to write a letter to Harris County District Court judges was really eye-opening. So I think what I want to do is one, ask you in your opinion, your words to sort of summarize for our audience what the problem is and then why you chose to bring the topic up by writing a letter to Harris County District Court judges. Right. Um, I will, again, take the latter part of your question. I chose to write about Harris County because Crime Stoppers actually does what I think the state and local government should do. They should keep track of what bonded out, bailed out defendants are doing. Um, and if there's a problem, correct it. Well, they're not doing that. Crime Stoppers did it. And I was astounded to read 97 innocent people lost their lives because bailed out, bonded out defendants caused their deaths. Now, since I wrote that column, I just updated it yesterday, um, two more people in Harris County have lost their lives. So that's now 99 needless deaths. 
I'm going to tell you in no uncertain terms, I get 700 words to, to, for, to write my column, every crazy idea I think of. I only get 700 words, but it's very easy to sum up the problem in Harris County, Texas, and a whole lot of other places. It's the judges. It's the judges and it's the legislators. Now, there are some states that have acted laws in law enacted laws that judges have to follow. I get that. New York State, where I live, is one of those states. They they passed a bail reform law that was unbelievable. Murderers, bank robbers, uh, 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 serial domestic abusers were being arrested, and within two hours, they're back out on the street. But in Harris County, Texas, there is no such law. Your judges are deliberately letting out defendants who, in my opinion, should remain behind bars. Now, it doesn't take a, a, a genius to look at their backgrounds. If there's violence in their backgrounds, if they've been bonded out before and now they're back again, if they have a bad record, they should not be bonded out, period. It's against public safety. That's what Crime Stoppers is for. That's what I'm for. What is in the best interest of public safety? And I'm sorry, your Harris County judges are putting the public at risk every time they bond out one of those those types of defendants. And the issue becomes the constitutional, the text, you know, within the state of Texas, the constitutional right for everybody to have the option of of a bail or a bond. And Mm -hmm. but that's up for interpretation in the sense that when you're dealing with felony cases, we're, and that's all we're looking at, by the way, because Diane, I can tell you as many times as we talk about this, all people say, it is so heartless of you to um, want to throw, you know, lock up and throw away the keys on the, you know, the innocent single mother who stole groceries or diapers to, to feed or protect her children. And we are not talking about misdemeanor crimes. We're not right. talking about low-level crimes at all. Actually, she, she should be bonded out. She should be bonded. She should go home and take care of her children. I and, completely agree. And not lose her job. Not you know. Mm-hmm. And but when you're dealing with, if we could help everybody go to a different place with this conversation, if you're dealing with a violent, habitual felony offender, we are talking about somebody who murders and then is given a bond because according to the constitution, you have that right. But then goes ahead and commits another horrific felony crime. At that point we need to possibly pause and do a risk assessment and say, if we let you out on this bond, you are, you, you present a risk to, the, to yourself and the community, mm-hmm. but we're not doing that. We're letting them out a second time. And then we're letting them out a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time. And a sixth, and it goes on and on and on. I know it, it blows my mind that that's what they do in Texas. I, I got um, my column also runs in the Albuquerque journal and I got a, a reader comment from someone there who said, hey, the same thing's happening here in New Mexico. Same thing. And it's happening in a lot of states. It it was so bad here in New York that the reformers who did the bail reform had to go back and rewrite the reform to tighten it up a bit. Listen, constitutionally protected rights. I get that. You have them. I have them. The public has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not to be put in the path of some bonded out guy who's got 11 bonds on him that then still has that seething violence in him. That's that's not keeping the public safe. And judges 
are supposed to be there to keep the public safe, first and foremost. And Crime Stoppers' goal is to actually work with the judges, you know, to say, how can we work together to solve this, to work with the community, to say, what do you understand about this? Which is why I I really encourage everybody to read your article. We will tag it, um, put the link to this podcast because it was written in such a beautiful way uh, that explains the situation, a complicated situation so easily. Diane, here's a quote from your article and you're actually quoting HBD chief Art Acevedo. This is about uh, the 44% increase in um, Harris County murder rates. And the quote is, a big part of activist judges and activist district attorneys who don't understand that criminal justice has to be fair, timely, and certain. And it has to come from a place of what's best for the victim. And I think in this whole conversation and in an effort to talk about criminal justice reform nationally, and we, by the way, can have many conversations at once. We can say we need criminal justice reform while not destroying our entire system and a hope to get a result, we, we've lost the, the, the victim. The victim is no longer a part of this narrative. Yeah, we, and it, not only that, we've lost our common sense. You know, if there's a dangerous um, dog in a kennel outside snarling at everybody, you don't let them out to the public to hurt them. You know, I, I'm fascinated by you. you. You said that Crime Stoppers tries to work with the judges who do this, who let these uh, people bond out. What do the judges say to you? It's an ongoing conversation. And um, our goal is to work with all of our elected officials because of course we're so thankful for those who serve, Uh, Mm -hmm. but we have to be having this ongoing conversation about about what the dangers mean to our community and the real results. What's interesting, Diane, is the reason you chose Harris County was because across the country, no one is looking at what happens, as you said, when these defendants go back out into the community, and we are. Um, But no one else is, which tells you that it's not even on people's radar. So Uh, exactly, exactly. I'm I'm so thankful for Crime Stoppers Houston for doing this, because no one else in the country is keeping track. You'll read a story, a reporter will write a story, or you'll hear it on television of he was bonded out and oh my gosh, look what happened. But no one's keeping track. And Crime Stoppers Houston is. And boy, your community should be thankful for that. Thank you. And our hope is that as we keep track and keep data, um, those elected officials and those appointed to serve who we believe inherently have a heart to do what's right. Um, we'll start putting common sense and uh, the, the incredibly powerful positions they hold, their duty to keep victims safe and the community safe above all else. Diane Diamond recently re-released her 2005 book, Be Careful Who You Love, Inside the Michael Jackson Case. The book is an explosive, definitive account of the Michael Jackson saga, chronicling the King of Pop's battle against child molestation charges from 1993 to 2005. In the recent re-release of the audio version of the book, Diane adds four new chapters in which she dives deeper into her personal experience of breaking the Michael Jackson case. Head to the link in our show notes at thebalancevoicepodcast.com to purchase the book today. Crime Stoppers of Houston is in schools kindergarten through 12th grade, and we free everything we do. And we're out there trying to give kids every opportunity to succeed, to make the right choices, to prevent victimization. We want to start at the earliest ages and work with these kids. 
Um, we also want to have the conversations with the district attorney. You know, what do you guys need to do your job? How do we ensure speedy trials? How do we ensure treatment um, of those inmates or prisoners when we worry about COVID instead of maybe making the argument release everybody? How do we make sure that once somebody's serving time that we invest in them, that there's rehabilitation, that there's just punishments, there's fair trials? We can have, I keep saying, we keep saying we have to have all these conversations, but what yes. we're doing now is hurting everybody. And I'll, and I'll, and I know we need to, our time is, is coming to a close, but what pains my heart too is the fact that in an effort to write what people are seeing as a, as a wrong in the criminal justice system and not release everybody on this bail, we're actually setting up these defendants for failure because they mm -hmm. go, we haven't given them the tools to choose something different. So they go out, they commit another crime and they're only at some point, this is going to, it's, it's going to hit them as well. And so it breaks my heart all around. Um, Diane, the work you do is so incredible. You ask, you yourself ask tough questions with an honest desire to have fair answers. What do you say to people who care, to young journalists who care, um, to those of us who want to contribute balanced conversations? Focus your energies on telling important stories. Let's not worry about Megan and Harry. <laughs> I don't, I'm, God bless Although them. I, was, I, 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 was, I wish them well. <laughs> but you know, let's talk, let's focus. If, if you are a young journalist, just graduating, wondering what to do, please go into storytelling. Tell the human dimension of a story. Keep it simple. I try to keep my columns very simple. Sometimes I'll stick in a big word and I'll say, nope, let me, let me do a, a more casual word there. Keep it a conversational approach to the topics that matter. So to up-and-coming journalists, focus on the real issue within your topic, the one that really everybody cares about, that your mother or your father cares about and focus on that, highlight that and try to tell it through the eyes of a human being. Diane, that's, that's the easiest way to say it. <laughs> I really appreciate it. We will be linking your recent article on um, to the district court judges here in Harris County on our Facebook page. We thank you so much for being our guest on The Balanced Voice and to everybody else, we'll catch you next time. Thank you again. Thanks for tuning in to today's Balanced Conversation. You can find real solutions and tangible resources in our show notes at thebalancevoicepodcast.com. To join the conversation, follow us on Instagram at thebalancevoicepodcast and on Twitter at balancevoice underscore. Stay up to date on Renya's work by following her at The Renya Report. And we can't wait to see you next week for another Balanced Conversation.